And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. Sahadev Sharma is not with us this week. He is, uh, he decided to hang back in New York and, uh, you know, see the sights, do the fun. I think really what it was is the Cubs got beat down so badly by the Yankees that he's like, I, I gotta just, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, how could you not want to be in New York? How could I go back and cover this Cubs team? So I think he's, I think he's ducking us a bit. I think he's ducking all things Cubs after what was, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say I expected the series to go like that. I, I, I don't think you can ever expect it to be quite that bad. But boy, was that one very good team playing against one very not good team. Yeah, props to Sahadev for writing the, hey, the Yankees sold in 2016 and turned it around. How long is it going to take the Cubs? And then just peace out on vacation for a <laughs> while uh, leading into... I guess not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you Darvish pitching tonight is, I think is also a great bookend to that Yankees series. We had the Dodgers checkpoint earlier in the year, then the Yankees series Darvish pitching tonight. And, you know, just this weekend uh, game one fell into that pattern we've seen for the Cubs through you know, long stretches of this season where they're competitive, they're scrappy, they just don't get the big hit. You know, the bullpen covers a lot of innings, but they don't get the start that they wanted. And, I mean, I'd even rewind it back to the last time we talked, Brett, in your post on Bleacher Nation of like, hey, this rotation is kind of a mess, huh? And then <laughs> Wiley and Stroman go on the injured list shortly thereafter. It was so funny. It went from within 24 hours, it went from one kind of mess to a completely different kind of mess. And we learned during that. Yeah. And we learned that there was a reason that Kyle Hendricks had not pitched. Also, it wasn't just like that the schedule had worked out that way. It was he was also, quote, dealing with some stuff. Uh, But he is at least now scheduled to take a turn in this Padres series. But yeah, I um, I was checking real quick while you were talking about the that Friday game, which yeah, was very on point for the rest of the season. And in a way, Saturday and Sunday were on point as well, because that was just the Cubs getting absolutely smoked by a good team. But I looked back cause I, w- I was pretty sure I was right about this, but I wanted to double check, you know, we Cubs fans and Sahadev, uh, often like to mention that 2016 Yankees mini reboot situation which is fine and fair because they did, you know, they got to midway through that 2016 season. They saw they weren't going to be competitive despite having a theoretically strong roster. And so like, fine, we'll sell off some pieces and try to reboot. Uh, of course, famously among those moves, sending Aroldis Chapman to the Cubs. And what 
we don't always mention when we discuss that is that the 2017 Yankees, so immediately thereafter, they won 91 games and went to the postseason right away. That would be this year's Cubs. So the parallel obviously is very dead, uh, I think, to the extent anyone was like, ah, this is just, you know, this is a six-month reboot. I think clearly, and we already, let me be fair to us, we already knew that because of the moves that the Cubs made this offseason, the roster that they set up going into the season, it was not, it was, you know, one of those give yourself a 20% chance. And we are seeing clearly the 80% uh, play out. So I think uh, let's, let's hang on the rotation for a minute because uh, as we alluded, the type of mess they're in now is Wade Miley came back from the IL uh, shoulder strain came back after a minimum stay and pitched three innings and boom, felt the same shoulder issue again. And we may find out this week uh, the extent of it, the plan for it. But I think my general rule of thumb is whenever a guy comes back and then immediately deals with the same issue, you're looking at a longer absence. Even if everything on the imaging or whatever looks exactly the same, that's just how this plays out. And as we've discussed before, What's particularly critical for this year's Cubs in relation to a guy like Miley, it's having him healthy and pitching in those final weeks of July. So if that means sitting him down now for like a month, that's what's going to happen. So we'll see. Um, Marcus Stroman's shoulder inflammation didn't sound terribly serious in the quotes that I saw, but I mean, you never know. Um, It's TBD, his timeline, I think also. And... um, like I said, Kyle Hendricks returning to the rotation this week, but there are going to be openings now uh, for guys that we were wondering about last week when we recorded. So, you know, it seems likely that Caleb Killian will come up and at least get one more one-off start. So that's kind of fun. There is a spot for Keegan Thompson to remain in the rotation now, but of course he now is uh, coming off back-to-back really rough outings as a starter uh, for what it's worth. I saw that he mentioned he thought it was a mechanical issue rather than having anything to do with starting versus relieving. So, you know, squash that thinking for now. But I think, you know, I don't I don't know what to think about the state of the rotation because now I feel like we're left it's it's a bit unclean in terms of what we're looking to see right now cuz like it was easy when Miley was coming back. It's like, okay, good. Let's see Miley Cruz. Um, that sounds like a name, Miley Cruz. Uh, let's see Miley Cruz. Let's get uh, Drew Smiley back in three three weeks or so, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I just, I don't, I don't know what we're going to see. And so I'm left thinking things like, oh, well, maybe Caleb Killian will come up and take one of these starts and we'll have a fun repeat of that. But that's really all I can say about the rotation right now. If you look at, the Cubs and some of these kind of baby steps they've made in terms of pitching development. I think a weekend like this just really underscores how far they have to go. Like it's great. I mean, Keegan Thompson has had a great season. Uh, He's a valuable piece. I think Justin Steele at worst is like a really nice reliever, but like if you want to play with teams like the Yankees, if you want to withstand a 162-game season, I mean, the Cubs just need a lot more in every single area, and it's great that they've had these, you know, 
homegrown success moments and some nicer stories and beginning to change the narrative, you know, whatever. But like, they are nowhere close to the Yankees. And I, and I think a, a weekend like this really just hammered that point home that there's no like waiting around. There shouldn't be waiting around for these guys to develop and you can see what you have for the rest of this year, but I mean, they need to pour a ton of resources, I think, into the rotation. If Kyle Hendricks is more of a fifth starter now than an opening day starter, uh, we don't know Stroman well enough to kind of have a feel for these things, but I, I did think it was interesting that even after a lot of his starts this year, he just talked about like feeling off, not feeling in rhythm after all of spring training saying how, you know, he's someone who's always throwing the baseball. Like as soon as the day after the season ends, he's beginning his throwing program and he's, obviously an athletic active pitcher but something's obviously been off with him too that's why he's on the injury list and I think I don't know you can if you're a Cubs fan you there's a certain amount of patience you have an understanding for okay they need to figure out what they've got where they need to invest but when you take all of these guys off the table whether it's the obvious trade chips or the guys that you've given big contracts and Suzuki and Stroman when they're on the injured list. It's like, what, what are we watching here? Yeah, that's a good point. Cause it's, it does cross over the starting boundary because you could have a lot of these same questions about what are we watching on the positional side? Last thought on the starting pitching before we get over to the positional side. I think, what we saw yesterday with Keegan Thompson is a reminder too that for as right as I think we are when we talk about what this year is and you, you've got to give guys runway, you got to see what they can do. Um, that that doesn't mean it's going to be great every time they take the mound. You know that they, those things aren't synonymous because by in fact by the very nature of quote seeing what you've got and working on development. That, that doesn't happen without bad outings too, which isn't me trying to put a rosy spin on a guy getting blown up and not having his command and et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you don't actually get to the point of knowing, oh, okay, this is a, a starting pitcher who we can trust to get through the bumps, who can figure out the mechanical issues and get back in rhythm so that he's a, you know, sort of locked in guy for 2023. Like this is what it sort of has to look like. Um, and we've seen it, for example, with Justin Steele before, and he has come back and sort of sorted things out. So you start to feel that's why, like, the conversations about Justin Steele start with, you know, he's he's, he's probably you know going to be an okay starting pitcher, you know, but at least he's a very good reliever. Whereas with Keegan Thompson, it's well, he's a very good reliever. We just don't quite yet know if he can be a starting pitcher, and and so this is what that process looks like. Um, all right, positional side, we. <laughs> We can't talk about the Cubs positional stuff from this weekend without getting into the DFA heard round the world. The most shocking, I'm trying to think of like what the um, bachelor version of this would be. It was the most shocking DFA of the season. And (laughs) I play into that. Certainly I wrote extensively this weekend about Clint Frazier being designated for assignment to open at least uh, literally to open up a 40 man roster spot so that reliever Chris Martin could return that that was the one to one. But I think we all know it's a much broader conversation than that. And that is why fans reacted so negatively to it. 
why I personally reacted so negatively to it. It's not really about Frazier specifically. It's about what he represents, what we think this year should be, and, of course, who a lot of us think the Cubs should be moving on from, whether it's in playing time or roster space. And it's a guy that we've talked about on this podcast a lot. It's Jason Hayward. And and to see Sahadev writing that it wasn't even a consideration, like it just wasn't even remotely on the table to talk about, okay, maybe it's time to move on from Jason Hayward, was is is galling. It's is the only word I can offer for it. It is galling that it's not even a consideration at this point when you're not doing so at the expense of a guy like Frazier who is unlikely to be a you know key piece for next year. We know why he was available. We know all the issues. We know the defensive limitations. We know et cetera, et cetera. But he has hit before. He's only 27. There's a reason the Cubs took a chance on him in the first place. And then to never play him and then when there is playing time finally available, to say, nah, that's got to go to Jason Hayward, a guy who we all know, come on, let's be adults. We can appreciate what he's done, but we can all say he is not going to be a key piece of the next great Cubs team. Give me a break. If that's the if that's the verbiage you want to use, cool. But I'm going to tell you he is not going to be a part of the next great Cubs team. So to explicitly choose not only to keep him, but to keep starting him, Instead of a guy like Frazier who gives you that 5% chance of becoming a useful multi-year piece for the Cubs, it's just, it feels, um, yeah, it just, I I have struggled for weeks to figure out why they are proceeding with Hayward as they are. And this was just like the cherry on top of that, that I just, I don't understand. And it's very frustrating. Clint Frazier is not the guy to get worked up about. Now, remember I said... I said, I mean, this is me sliding in on side. Not saying they don't want to pay him to go away yet. Like they're just this season doesn't matter. They're like Clint Frazier's had played in the big leagues for parts of six seasons. Never once reached a game seventy. He's almost twenty eight years old. He's been traded. He's been DFA'd. The Yankees what non tenor to him? Like even when coming out of spring training into the year, it was pretty obvious how David Ross felt he should be used, that it was a very particular narrow window. If they thought he was going to be this breakout guy, I think he would have gotten more run at the beginning of the year. I hear you that this Hayward thing is just awkward that they're. Oh, sorry. Please, please hold that. I don't want this. I don't want to drill this. I just want to make sure people check this box. Keep in mind Late in spring training, the Cubs also chose to punt Harold Ramirez in this outfield group because they didn't believe they'd have playing time for him. Well, he's on the Rays, kind of a good team, is getting playing time from a good team, and he's hitting. So just FYI, the the whole just the whole outfield mix and these sort of fringe decisions are kind of pissing me off at a background level because I feel like they have really made some mistakes this year. Okay, sorry. Go. You were talking about Hayward. No, yeah, I mean, they've clearly made mistakes. They have a terrible team right now. I just think the Hayward thing is, like I said, going to be awkward until the trade deadline, and then it just seems like they're going to uh, kind of run the clock out this year. And since they don't really care that much about winning this year as an organization, obviously the coaches, the players, the on-field personnel – care about that they're working hard every single day but to me it it just seems like 
we all we just know why they're not doing this. They don't want to just pay them to go away. It's a lot of money. They don't want to do it. And like that's not saying they're right or excusing it, but they've just so clearly <laughs> gone down this path that uh, the the Fraser thing. I didn't have a huge problem. You know, they're always looking at the strategery of uh, roster decisions, and it sounded like Sahadev's reporting indicated that they thought maybe they could get him through because of his salary versus, you know, a minimum guy not in the arbitration system yet. I mean, we're talking about guys on the edges here and that I think they need to be focused on like getting the big things right here because you know, this weekend at Yankee Stadium, seeing the Dodgers, what's coming up this week against the Padres and the defending World Series champion Braves, like it could get uh, really ugly here this week at Wrigley Field. No question that, especially that series with the Yankees, I feel like it highlighted for them that it, they, yeah, they, they make the edge case moves and development stuff uh, work for them, but it's also the big stuff. I mean, it, a lot of their success, the Yankees, comes from their biggest names, their biggest moves, their, you know, those big decisions. But also, Jed Hoyer is, and I, I like what Jed Hoyer has done for the most part. But I do, I do think in this context about something he says often, which is stacking good decisions upon good decisions. And when he talks about that, he's talking about the edge case stuff. He's talking about the way you really win is by you know, those 51% moves where it's just like, eh, you know, it's just one little good thing that sets you up to make one other little good thing and so on and so on and so on. And um, so that's another reason why I have found more or less everything related to outfield decision-making this year uh, to be really frustrating uh, up to and including, you know, I know it's my pet thing to say, but what I really don't want to see happen you know, he's, he might be out a while, but when Seiya Suzuki comes back and is justifiably playing every day, of course, um, and maybe I think we're to the point, we'll see what happens in a month, that Chris Morrell needs to play regularly too. I, I don't know that he's at risk unless there's a big adjustment period coming. Um, so you figure out where to put him. But if Jason Hayward is still going to be getting play at that point, center field is the only spot that makes sense, which means the guy who's sitting all the time is Rafael Ortega. And I got to tell you, in the run-up to the trade deadline, that's going to be me ranting again. If we have a month of July where he's just sitting there, I'm going to be pretty pissed off because he is hitting, he's playing really well, and I I know in my soul that he is a useful fourth outfielder, uh, lefty bat for you know almost every contender, and so and I, and it's and it's one of those things you're not going to get a big return for Rafael Ortega. I get that. That's not what I'm saying. It's you, you, but you may get a useful return, especially because he doesn't cost any money. And the Cubs have to put themselves in a position to do that, especially if the only thing they're giving up in the process is more playing time for Jason Hayward. So yeah, that's going to be, I, I hate to keep talking about it. And I've said this before. I hate that I'm in a position to, to feel like I'm just berating Jason Hayward's performance constantly. Um, because I haven't been as negative on Hayward as a lot of other people have. You know, I think I tend to think it's not his fault that he got paid, you know, get your money. And I, I also think 
there were reasons for the deal when the Cubs signed it. And I think there were just some things that went wrong that some foreseeable, some not foreseeable, but I just hate that we're in this zone and I cannot do this for another six months, much less another year and six months. Don't even get me Mooney. You do not want to hear me in November when like the roster protection deadline is coming up and Hayward is still on the 40 man roster and the Cubs have to leave like an extra prospect exposed. I will blow a gasket. Michael's going to have to have that dump button ready. Um, so we can leave that part there. Because, again, I feel, like you, I feel like I can caveat this a million times and it still won't be heard. But this isn't about Frazier. Like, I am unhappy that he didn't get playing time because I wanted to see what he could do. But I do understand everything Mooney said is right. That, you know, he's had some chances to show and organizations have chosen to do what they've done. And often that's because they know things that we don't know about a guy's expected performance. And, and admittedly he looked pretty rough in the outfield uh, from what we've seen this year. So uh, we'll see what happens on that move. Now, strictly speaking, as Mooney also mentioned and Sahadev mentioned, he could clear waivers. Uh, he's owed about a million bucks the rest of the way. And it is entirely possible that no organization wants to pick that up. Uh, if he clears waivers, then the choice will be up to him if he wants to hit free agency and try to either find a better spot for himself or make more money than that, which seems unlikely, but he will have that option. Or he can accept the assignment to AAA Iowa. He gets to keep his million bucks, but then, you know, he, he'll be thinking, I don't know when I'm going to be back up, if at all. So... We'll see how that plays out. There are three and a half more days on that to play out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That sucked up a lot of the helium or the, a lot of the oxygen this weekend. Um, in addition to the massive loss, um, massive losses against the Yankees, I didn't have any other big picture stuff to get into because, for one thing, I, I still want to see how some of the playing time is going to sort out on the positional side. I keep waiting for Suzuki to return because that I want to see what it's going to be. That, but I guess our update this weekend was that it might still be quite a while before he's back, which sucks in its own right. Well, this is another one of your pet peeves, right? Of uh, at least they used the IL this time, but they waited several. They days, did right, and I I get yes. it. Like it's hard, you know, in Cincinnati in the moment of you're getting initial X-rays and like, oh, you know, we're optimistic he won't go on the IL, and so we'll just give it a couple days, let the swelling go down, and then oh, he's got a hit, and we'll see how he feels, and then <laughs> it obviously hasn't gone right yet, and. I'd imagine 
you know, once the Cubs kind of go down these roads, they seem to be very conservative and particular, just in general. And then looking at the state of the team, the uh, importance of Suzuki to their long-term vision. And, you know, I think some of it, you know, they're not obviously rooting for injuries, but that's why with some of this Hayward stuff, it's like, something else always happens and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, more stuff keeps happening this week. Like this kind of whole season has just been, I don't know if it's, it can't all be the lockout, but some of it is part of the shortened spring training. Part of it is the nature of this roster. When you put together so many guys who are kind of unproven, but uh, some of it's just random. I mean, like Nico, colliding with an umpire like that's not something you're going to see but just taken all together it just seems like you know you can think you have a plan going into this series against the Padres and then something else is going to pop up like that's just kind of the nature of baseball and definitely the way this season has gone so far it's reminiscent of something we've talked about before which is this year's Cubs team is not good and also unlucky, you know, in terms of some of the results in these one-run games. And, and both of those things can be true. They can be not good and also unlucky. Well, similarly with the health stuff, um, it's like the the Cubs are not, it's not a great roster. And also they've had a ton of injuries, you know, so it's like, I find it hard sometimes to bring that stuff up because people think you're deflecting from the poor performance. But that's not the case. I think if the Cubs had had near perfect health this year, they'd still be under. I think they still would not be a terribly competitive team. But that said, it is hard to even stay afloat when, like Mooney said earlier, your, your two big additions are Marcus Stroman, who missed almost a month or, or, you know, I forget how long it was, two weeks with COVID, three weeks. And then he's got a shoulder issue that who knows what the impact was of that. And then obviously Suzuki's going to miss upwards of a month. Um, it is. Hard. And that's to say nothing of all the, the myriad other injuries that we've seen. So both things can be true. This can have been a roster that was constructed to try to catch lightning in a bottle. So it was not necessarily a great roster on paper from the get go. But then also, in addition to that, they have suffered. I think more injury issues than the average team this year. I do think that's got to be true. So uh, you're right though, this week against the Padres, the Padres who will be looking for revenge. See the Cubs have played the Padres well the last like few years. I feel like they've disproportionately played the Padres. Well, total just flute. I don't think there's some like, you know, mystery magic that they match up just right with these Padres, but they have played them pretty well. And so uh, on paper, another very unfavorable matchup for the Cubs and then the Braves, um, you know, this, this could be, it could be an ugly week. Uh, that's all I got for this. You have any parting thoughts, Mooney? No, I'm, I'm trying to, in my head, make sure I have this right. I mean, in terms of a projected opening day rotation, the Cubs have 60% of it on the injured list right now between Miley, Smiley and Stroman. And, Hendricks dealing with air quotes stuff. Yes. Uh, and starts yes. Tuesday. Justin Steele is it. We'll have to turn into a Caleb Killian podcast uh, pretty <laughs> soon here because that'll be the, uh, the the guy to to talk about. God save us if he gets blown up immediately when he comes up. Um, 
All right. We'll be back at you on Thursday uh, talking about whatever did happen with this Padre series and maybe having a little more clarity on, on some of these arms. Until then, uh, I am Brett Taylor. Catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. Get his at The Athletic. This is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. We appreciate you and take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.